I know a few people that have a problem. They like old vehicles, and they have big ideas of restoring them back to their original condition, like original parts and everything, the whole nine yards. Some of you might suffer from that same problem, though you wouldn't call it suffering. You'd call it a hobby or something that you enjoy doing. You like to reclaim the vehicle's prime years. And for whatever reason, it might be because you remember driving that vehicle back when you were just a little kid in your prime, or you remember the days of earlier fondness of years gone by, or perhaps you're subliminally trying to reverse the aging process on yourself. If you can do it on a car, you can do it on yourself as well. But whatever the reason is, it's something that you enjoy doing. And it's a good thing. Because I looked up the average time that it takes to restore a classic car, and I came up with two different numbers from the internet. So you know these are true. And I've never restored a classic car before, so I, I really don't know what I'm talking about. But the internet does. So this is what they said. It takes about 1,000 hours to restore a classic car. That's one website. Another website said it takes about 2,000 hours. So I don't know. Maybe you've spent 500 hours or 1,000, or maybe you've got an old tractor that you still want to restore as well. But you can tell me how much, that, how much time that takes. That's a lot of time. It's no wonder that these projects takes, take years to finish. Now, before anyone of us who doesn't enjoy doing that gives anyone a hard time for wasting 1,000 hours in that way, 1,000 hours can get used up pretty easily. There's a study that came out in 2018 that said the average amount of time that, it, that a person spends on their phone is four hours a day. That's the average person. So that accounts for all of you who spend a lot less than four hours a day on it as well. But that's the average amount of time is four hours a day. In order to account for 1,000 hours, it's just two hours and 45 minutes a day for one year. That's 1,000 hours. So these people, these average people, are spending way more than 1,000 hours on just their phones, doing whatever it is that they want to do. Now, I share that statistic not to make us feel better that we're less than average or more than average in regarding our phone use, but just to highlight how easy it is to spend 1,000 hours. You can spend it on whatever you want, hobbies or whatever, however you want to spend it. You'll still not have time to do everything that you want to get done. But going back to restoring cars, if you're going to restore a car, you can't start out with nothing, right? You can't restore something that doesn't exist. You have to restore something that's already been in existence. You have to start with something. And since I'm no expert, you'll have to inform me afterwards what you can start out with. If you can restore a car by starting with just some old tires, or if you have to have the frame, or if you have to have the engine, or if you have to have the body, or what it is. Whatever it is, by definition, if you're going to rebuild something, it has to have already been built. In our text this morning, the Lord gives Jeremiah a heads up on what he is going to do. God is going to do a work of restoring, a work of rebuilding, but in order to do that, something first needs to be built. And this rebuilding and restoring is that God was going to do was going to last, or going to take a lot longer than a thousand hours to complete. It would take years, decades, centuries, even millennia to do it. Yet the Lord promised to do this work, and the Lord will see it through. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 33 as I begin reading with verse 1. And as we look at how the Lord has built, broken, and also promised to restore. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word if you're able. In Jeremiah chapter 33, 
beginning at verse 1, reading in Jesus' name. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time, while he was still confined in the court of the guard, saying, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. For thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the houses of the city and concerning the houses of the kings of Judah which are broken down to make a defense against the siege ramps and against the sword while they are coming to fight with the Chaldeans and to fill them with the corpses of men whom I have slain in my anger and in my wrath and I have hidden my face from the city because of all their wickedness. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing and I will heal them. And I will reveal to them an abundance of peace and truth. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel, and will rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities, by which they have sinned against me, and by which they have transgressed against me. It will be to me a name of joy, praise, and glory before all the nations of the earth, which will hear of all the good that I do for them, and they will fear and tremble because of all the good and all the peace that I make for it. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth. Lord, that you would reveal to us our own brokenness, and that you would reveal to us that you have come to restore us to yourself as well. Remove any distractions we have for us today, and Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jeremiah 33 kind of starts out in, in the middle of the story. Verse 2 summarizes a big chunk of the story. As Jeremiah writes, he says, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. As the Holy Spirit speaks through Jeremiah's words here, he reminds us, he reminds his audience as well, that the Lord is the one who made the earth. The Lord is the one who has formed it. The Lord is the one who established it. He points the audience to the majesty and the power and the authority of God. Remember that this is the God who created the earth from nothing. This is the God who spoke the world into existence and who controls the seasons and the sun, who sets the boundaries for the seas. This is the Lord who is about to speak to Jeremiah. And here, as we confess each, he is, as we confess each week, the creator of heaven and earth. He breathed the universe and all it contains into existence. The Lord is the one who builds. The Lord is the one who has built this earth and everything in it and the entire universe. But more specifically, the Lord continues his building and he has built his people. He has called his people to be a people for himself. You'll find Jeremiah reviewing that history in chapter 32. In chapter 32, verses 21 through 23, he says this as he reflects on the history of his people. He says, you bought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt, or you brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror and gave them this land, which you swore to their forefathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and took possession of it. God has built his people. He has built this nation to be a people after his own heart. The Lord has claimed these people to be a people for himself. And the Lord has entered into a covenant with them. And, and through his people, 
He has promised to bless all the families of the earth, every last one of them, including your family. Through his people, he was going to provide a Messiah, not just for the Jewish people, but again, for all the families of the earth, for all mankind. He had given them a promise. He had built a people of promise for himself. And this promise was fulfilled in Christ. And through this Messiah, through Jesus, the Lord continues to build. He continues to build his holy temple as we sang about earlier and as we read in the scriptures. Building a spiritual house full of living stones, full of believers. Jesus continues to build by seeking and saving the lost, by calling weary sinners to enter into his rest. And Jesus also builds faith in you, calling you to enter into his rest. The Lord is the one who builds. Not wanting to be left out of the credits, we can take credit for what happens next. While the Lord himself alone is the one who is in the business of building, we go about our business, and we're pretty good at it. And our business is breaking. When the creator had finished the beginning of his creation, he took a step back. He took a step back and he looked at all that he had made and behold, he says, it was very good. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long, did it? Not because there was some flaw in creation, not because there was some flaw in the creator himself, but because man introduced something that the creator never intended to be here, sin. And when sin entered the world, along came death. And this perfect world could no longer be characterized by perfection. It could no longer be called very good, for something terrible had happened. God still maintained his holiness. And Adam and Eve were driven from his presence and cast out of the garden. Yet God also maintained his grace as well and permitted them to go on living. And they would continue to prosper. They would continue to, to reproduce, to tend the land that they had been given. However, doing this, they would live their lives under a curse. They would learn of thorns and thistles, disasters, pain and suffering, things that were never there in the beginning, things that were never meant to be a part of this creation. This perfect world, the perfect creation was broken. And we still feel the effects of this sin. Even today, this brokenness, this creation continues to groan. You smell its groaning every time you pass by a dead skunk on the highway. We smell the death and decay. We see its groaning in every natural disaster that we read about or we experience. And we feel its groaning. When what was created to never die, dies. As Jeremiah is writing in this passage, he too is a broken man. And he sees brokenness, the brokenness that sin has brought upon his own people. The houses of the city, the majestic houses of the kings are no longer the majestic structures that they used to be, but they are broken down. And the people are trying to muster up anything, some sort of sense of security behind their own homes or behind the homes of their kings, but it's useless. They're ultimately going to be filled with the slain of the city, as God says. Slain not just from the enemy outside their gates, but slain in the Lord's wrath. As the Lord says, I have hidden my face from this city because of all their wickedness. This was the city that, by which God was going to reveal himself to the world. This was the city in which he was supposed to dwell with his people forever. 
This was a city that was supposed to be safe and protected from all enemies. They had that promise of God. And yet here we find it on the brink of destruction and disaster. And for what reason? Because of all their wickedness. Sin not only is broken creation, but it destroys God's people. Go back to chapter 32, verse 23, and if you were following along, you'll notice I didn't finish verse 23. I ended on a high note. But Jeremiah continues. So they came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do, and therefore you have made all this calamity to come upon them. See, God is punishing sin and these sinful people who have turned their backs on him and have given themselves over into sin. Death and destruction would then ransack the city. And the people who were to be the apple of God's eye would be turned instead into objects of his wrath once again. They had turned their backs on God and had given themselves over to wickedness. We like to think that we're cut from a different cloth, don't we? Given the circumstances, if we were back there in Jerusalem in that day, that we would never be doing the things that they were doing, that we would respond differently to the Israelites. But the truth is, our idolatry, even today in 2020, is still just as rampant in our own lives. And our wickedness and our ungodliness still prevail in our own lives more often than we would like to admit, doesn't it? Even though we know what God has said, even though we know that God has called us to turn away from our sin, even though, though we know that God has delivered us from sin, we no longer are slaves to sin. And yet here we go back to its chains willingly. For some reason we enjoy it. And for some reason we convince ourselves that God has changed and that he would never do that same judgment that he did in the past. And yet the scriptures repeatedly warn people about falling away from God and falling into his judgment. The scriptures speak of branches being broken off of the olive tree because of their unbelief and the terrifying expectation of judgment to those who go on sinning willfully. We hear these warnings, and they go in one year and out the next. We don't dwell on them because we think we're different. We think we're immune. Those passages aren't for me. I don't have to worry about this. We tell ourselves that God would never send us to hell just because of a little sin. And so when we're caught in a little sin, maybe it's just a little white lie. We laugh it off. It's no big deal, right? We joke about getting away with sin, and, and we plan on ways of getting around other people knowing our sin. We don't plan on stopping because it's much more comfortable and convenient to ignore God's wrath than to acknowledge our sin and turn from it. But God wasn't laughing when he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. And he wasn't joking when he brought judgment on these Israelites either. And just like it brought death to Adam and Eve and to the Israelites in the wilderness and to these faithless residents in Jerusalem, your sin will also kill you. So don't try to hide or cover up the brokenness of your sin, but allow yourself to be broken by it and turn from it. And while that is absolutely true, that is still not the full story. Just like you can't rebuild something that makes, that unless it's already been built, you can't be restored unless you've first been broken. 
And the same God who created the world very good speaks another promise into the darkness in the midst of all of this destruction, in the midst of all the groanings of creation, in the midst of the rubble of the city on the brink of destruction, he speaks again to them and gives them a promise to hold on to. And he says, behold, I will bring to it health and healing and I will heal them. And I will reveal to them an abundance of peace and truth. And I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel. And will rebuild them as they were at first. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me. And by which they have transgressed against me. And it will be to me a name of joy, praise, and glory before all the nations of the earth which will hear of all the good that I do for them, and they will fear and tremble because of all the good and all the peace that I make for it. The Creator calls out to His broken creation once again and calls them to trust in Him, and He offers to them health, peace, truth, restoration, forgiveness, and pardon. And He proclaims that He will again delight in His people, that these people who are children of wrath will once again be the apple of His eye. They will be to His praise and to His glory. And the world would fear and tremble because of his goodness. That all the nations of the earth would hear of the peace that he has accomplished for his people. He proclaims his people will be a name of joy, praise, and glory. And while he doesn't remove the temporary judgment for their wickedness, the city will still be ransacked and it will still be destroyed and many people would still die. They would still be broken and laid to waste. The eternal consequence has been dealt with. And Christ reveals a better solution. He promises that he is going to restore them to the way that they were meant to be. Sinless, pure, and holy. A people of his praise and again, a delight in his eyes. This wouldn't come without cost though. Not to God that is. Sin brought death and brokenness and destruction upon the world. And in order to free us from this curse, God also must experience these things for us. And so God died. And our sin was the reason for Christ's death. And our healing was the reason why he went to the cross. As Christ was broken for our brokenness. So that by his wounds, we are healed. We are cleansed. We are forgiven. And we are restored. And the scorn that he faced was your scorn. The condemnation that he received and the ridicule that he received was yours. And the accusations that were laid against him were your accusations. So that the death that he died was your death. And also that you and I would have this hope of restoration. Also that you and I would have new life and be forgiven and be restored. And all to reveal an abundance of peace and truth. The truth that peace with God exists through Christ and through what Christ has done, through his perfection, which is credited to your account by faith alone. The Lord God Almighty desires to restore not classic cars or antiques, but precious eternal human souls. He desires to restore you. He desires to call us out of our sin and out of the darkness and into the light of his Son, Jesus Christ, He desires to reveal the brokenness in the world and the brokenness in our own lives. That we would no longer trust in ourselves, but we would trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And while we find ourselves broken over our own wickedness, 
Well, we are broken over the fact that there's still a part of us that still desires and craves sin and still goes into it willingly with a smile on our faces. We're pointed to the one who is broken for us. And we are broken over our sin. And we see the one whose death has satisfied and covered our debts and has come to restore, to rebuild you, to give you a new heart, one that desires to serve and follow him and to restore and rebuild our relationship with God, first and foremost, so we would have peace with him, but also to restore and rebuild the relationships and the carnage that our sin has left behind, to restore those relationships with one another. And all the nations will see what the Lord has done as we go about this work of restoration, as he does this work of restoration in our own lives. If you find yourself in a place of brokenness, Know that God doesn't desire to keep you there. But his purpose and his intent of breaking you is that you would be rebuilt again. That he would build you up into the image of Christ. That he has come to call you to himself. And that you too would be cleansed, pardoned, and forgiven. And that you would be brought back to God. This is the work that Christ came to do. He didn't come to call the righteous, but he came to call the sinners. And it's the work that, Christ, that God has promised to do. The same God who created the world and everything in it is still able to bring this restoration in your life. No matter how bad you might think you are, not only is he able to, but he desires to. And in Christ, he has promised to. And in Christ, he is doing it. This restoration is available to you now and, and every day. And every time you confess your sin, that God is restoring you. And one day, when he comes again, he will restore all creation. Creation will no longer groan. Our sin will no longer be dealt or will no longer suffer or cause us to suffer anymore. But he will put an end to sin. He'll put an end to iniquity. He'll put an end to suffering. And he will raise up all the dead. And those who've rejected him will be damned. But those who've received him and have trusted in this promise of restoration will be restored to the way we were meant to be united to Christ, eternal, immortal, holy, and changed to be like Christ. Christ came to this earth to give us all the hope of restoration. And even now, he is in the process of restoring you. So allow yourself to be broken over your sin. No longer try to hide it, but be broken and confess it and trust in the restoration that Christ has come to accomplish and that Christ has promised to do when he comes again. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and we praise you for your word and its truth. Lord, this morning as we see the consequences of our sin and the death and the destruction that we bring upon ourselves, the brokenness that we bring upon ourselves, Father, we pray that you would help us not to take it lightly, but that we would view that brokenness as a result of sin. And Father, that we would fall on our knees before you and come to you seeking forgiveness and repentance, and faith. And Lord, that you would show us what you have done in order to restore us, in order to forgive us, in order to accomplish peace with God on our behalf, that you came and you died for our sin. And Lord, that you have forgiven us. We thank you for that. Help us to live each and every day in the promise of the fact that we are being restored each and every day, more and more into the likeness of you. And that one day, you will rid ourselves of our sin and you will call us to be home with you forever.
for all eternity. Until that day, Lord, we pray that you would keep us in the faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.